Hello, and welcome to the Steve Barkley Ponders Out Loud podcast. Instructional coaches and leaders create the environment that supports teachers to continually imagine, grow, and achieve. They model an excitement for learning that teachers in turn model for students. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the important aspects of instructional leadership. Thanks for listening. I'm thrilled you're here. Collaboration to support multilingual learners. I'm joined today by Dr. Andrea Honigsfeld and Dr. Maria Dove, who are professors at Malloy University in New York. They have co-edited a new book, Portraits of Collaboration, Educators Working Together to Support Multilingual Learners. And I'm excited to have uh, uh, both, of them, uh, both of them join me here. Welcome. Thank you so much for inviting us. Yes, thank you very much. You bet. You bet. Um, I know that you have both authored uh, uh, many resources around educators supporting multilingual learners. And I'm wondering what led to the, uh, to the focus on this new book, Portraits of Collaboration. Well, we've always talked about portraits of collaboration in many of our joint professional development sessions and workshops that we've given. But Andrea had this idea of combining stories and putting them into a book. And I have to say, I was a little resistant at first, but she, this was her passion project. So I'm going to let Andrea speak a little bit about it. Thank you, Maria. Well, you're always an amazing partner in going along with some of these crazy ideas. As Maria referred to, a special feature in many of our books is a way to celebrate teacher success, making sure that we showcase what works, we elevate educators' voices, and showcase their experiences. In this case, we wanted to, or actually my original idea was to put an entire book together, which chapter after chapter invites practitioners, authentic voices, examples, and also photographs, videos, teacher and student-created materials so that collaboration could come alive. It doesn't just exist in a textbook that Maria and I wrote. It doesn't just live in theory. It's very much a practical, applicable endeavor that so many educators around the United States and internationally, as you saw from this book, also engage in. I'm big on explaining a lot of the areas that I work with as uh, existing on uh, continuums. <laughs> and uh, I, I kind of laugh sometimes that I, I, I see the world not black and white, but this long, <laughs> this long continuum. Um, and it, it strikes me that ELL teachers and classroom teachers uh, similarly work in, in a, somewhere along this continuum. And I'm wondering if you'd if you'd give me your description of what that continuum looks like, kind of the minimal end of collaboration to the to the deepest end of collaboration. Well, I think sometimes it starts with how co-taught programs are implemented. Very often, uh, schools uh, take the time to prepare co-teaching teams for what it's going to be like. Uh, addressing instruction with two teachers in the classroom, and they then can embark on their own development of their relationship 
with the knowledge of what it's supposed to look like and what it's supposed to be. Unfortunately, what happens in some teaching teams, they're, they're assigned and that's the amount of professional development they get, <laughs> you know, and then they have to figure it out on their own. And some teachers have a much better disposition to uh, develop that relationship. And some teachers really struggle with it because, again, they don't know what it's supposed to be. So we've seen continuums where teachers are brought together with no uh, professional learning and they blossom over time because they figure it out together. And then we see some teachers, they struggle along that continuum to figure out what they're supposed to be doing. Sometimes I think about it as anything that's very informal taking place at dismissal or arrival time or in the teacher's lounge or maybe over a cup of coffee, a collaborative conversation is already a form of collaboration. Maria likes to say that you could leave things in each other's mailboxes in the office. That's a form of collaboration, a gift. What an amazing resource you have found. And you just simply leave it there for a colleague, your grade level team members, maybe somebody that you know would appreciate that. And earlier today, Steve, you mentioned the PLC construct, like the professional learning communities educators working together in a highly structured, organized fashion, regularly meeting, unpacking the curriculum, co-constructing the curriculum, and implementing instruction with special attention to the needs of uh, unique subgroups of students, and then anything in between. And Maria, just I so appreciate that you highlighted that it really is very different from school to school, even classroom to classroom, what co-teaching or collaboration can look like. So we are on a continuum and we want to embrace that. Nothing what we write is ever prescriptive. That's why this volume, The Portraits of Collaboration, is so beautiful. Because as Steve, you pointed out, these teachers, these educators who are showcased in the book are also on a continuum. Some co-teach, some don't. Some co-plan and others engage in intensive analysis of student data and so forth. So the the group that I was just working with today, they're in a uh, elementary international school. Uh, So they have English language learners in every uh, classroom. And the EAL teacher is, uh, is, is working with, uh, with five classrooms. So they're, they're spending a a chunk of their, their time in, in, in uh, each one. So the, the, the question, one of the questions that they were sharing with me today was that they have limited co-planning time. And so I, I, I wanted to pose the question to you so that I can take the response back to them and send them this, uh, send them this podcast. Uh, what's, what's the best use of the planning time that you have? If you're in a situation like that where your where your planning time is is rather limited, there there needs to be a system that's in place for co-planning. So for the most part, teachers do we always have limited time, but we find those that are successful with co-planning have already organized how they're going to share information. They have uh, curriculum maps in place and other uh, resources that all teachers who are co-teaching have available to them. They spend time apart planning 
and really looking at the resources and the curriculum. And then when they're together, they often have a very structured uh, session for what's going to get accomplished within the time they have. That, that kind of matches I in my search to support them. I found a, uh, a, a, sh- a short video clip and it showed a uh, it showed a team of uh, fifth grade teachers and one of the teachers had designed a, uh, a, a an upcoming science uh, unit that all of them were going to teach. And the uh, the EAL teacher was in on that team meeting and she was as, as it was being presented she shared the thought that she kept watching it through the through through the through the lens of the uh, of the language learner, and uh, she would interrupt from time to time and make suggestions on a uh, on a shift or or, or a change. Uh, and, and then, as it progressed, then she identified some uh, separate instruction that she would do with some of the learners to scaffold their readiness to take part in the activities that were going to be going on in each teacher's classroom. It struck me as a pretty solid model for the time that they, uh, that they had available. Uh, I, I found some of the teachers I was talking to, they're trying to start from scratch on the design of a lesson and they run out of time. They don't have the lesson design, let alone having looked at it through what supports the, uh, the language learner needs. Another dimension of successful co-planning collaboration with limited amount of time could be the use of technology. I think you referred to that, that one person might have taken a lead role in designing something that then could be shared on some kind of cloud-based platform, Google Drive, OneDrive, or in Dropbox. And then everybody else is invited to access that material, to be able to add to that. I've seen that as a very successful way to collaborate remotely. And COVID just unfortunately as a silver lining reinforced in us that we can collaborate remotely. We do not have to sit together in the same room. So we could do a lot of pre-work as Maria referred to it to that um, team members come prepared for the face-to-face meeting. Also classroom routines have a um, wonderful effect for co-planning in that you're not reinventing the wheel. If you know your routine is more like using, for example, the gradual release of responsibility or a PSYOP model or um, UBD, um, any of those structures really help to um, enhance the completion of co-planning in a short amount of time. Because again, you're not starting the lesson from scratch. You already know what the routine is going to be. So how much of the co-planning process is an opportunity for the classroom teacher to be learning strategies that support the the uh, additional language learner when the EAL teacher is not going to be able to be there, which is a, a major chunk of the day. It's a great opportunity for that. We really see scaffolding as a go-to strategy, a go-to approach to supporting English learners, multilingual learners. If during co-planning, teachers talk about what the cognitive or academic expectations are, what the standards, what the goals and objectives are for all students, then teachers can put their heads together and create multiple pathways for the students to reach those goals. And those multiple pathways come by 
instructional scaffolding, as Maria mentioned, the gradual release of responsibility through modeling, through co-constructing meaning, maybe visual scaffolding, multi-sensory scaffolding, an opportunity for the students to actively engage particular hands-on learning opportunities and attach language to what is taking place in the classroom. Other types of scaffolding include interactive or collaborative scaffolding. When students work together and make sense of a particular problem together through a verbal interaction. And we could go on and on. That's actually our next book is going to be just on scaffolding, just to plant a little seed that we're, we're working on it. Never stop. Our minds never stop. Just like you are thinking around, how could we maximize the limited amount of time? How could we uh, collaboratively learn about best practices for the sake of our students? It's been my experience that when two teachers are in the same room, they really learn a lot from each other. It's the best, often, Andrea says, embedded uh, during the day type of professional development that, you know, is priceless. As a classroom teacher, uh, any time that a uh, special education teacher was supporting me in uh, in uh, what a particular student who was mainstreamed into my class needed. Uh, it always led to several other students <laughs> getting the chance to gain from that, what, what, what I learned in, in my role of, of assisting that, that one student. A big piece of the work that I do is a, a, around the phrase that I use of uh, student learning production behaviors. It's, uh, I, I'm, I'm big on not only identifying what the learning outcome is, but what the learning behaviors are that are that are, that are that are going to that are going to get you there, and uh, so it, it strikes me that if your if your planning time is limited, at least identifying what the most important learner production behaviors are, so that when that support teacher walks into my classroom, he or she is focused on the same learning production behaviors that the classroom teacher perhaps has has designed the lesson around. Is that connect in, in your thinking? Very much so. Often Maria and I like to talk about, like all, all of us are wearing glasses here, just for your <laughs> podcast, as number. But there are two lenses in our glasses, and one lens could be the academic lens, the other one, the linguistic lens. So when we're thinking about what learners are doing, we have to have clear expectations for them, both academically, how they engage with the content, and linguistically how they engage with the language at the same time. That's the heavy lifting here. That's why we talk about an, a collaborative, integrated model. So when you're thinking about those learner behaviors, make sure that when you work with this population, both kinds of behaviors and participation are important. So then a, a, a goal for the learner in both those areas becomes critical. So that the, that the teacher shares in the linguistic goal, as well as the, uh, the language specialist shares in the content goal. And also making sure that both of those goals are assessed. What we see sometimes is that there are uh, language and content area goals, and they are most certainly uh, paid attention to during the, the lesson. But when it comes to the assessment, the content is assessed and not the language. So, so we, we encourage people to uh, have both those goals as well as assessment of both those goals. It strikes me that it's important that the, uh, that, the, that the classroom teacher 
recognizes uh, building towards the linguistic goal uh, as as an important part of what's happening, because I I can easily see where uh, the teacher can end up focused only on the on, on on the content goal, and maybe working on the language elements in order to get the content goal, but missing the linguistic element. And interestingly enough, when you were talking about the continuum before, that very often happens where the EAL uh, teacher will buy into more of teaching and supporting the content initially because they want to develop a good relationship with the classroom or content area teacher. So that sometimes uh, become takes precedence. And uh, then as they move along the continuum, then I think more gradually the linguistic element is added and then uh, those two goals become more uh, cemented in the, uh, the practice of the teachers. And a partnership. Yes. And what we have seen so many times when Maria and I were in the classroom coaching or doing field-based research is that in a solid, sustained co-teaching partnership, it's the content teacher who starts paying attention to the language. And the, lang- the EAL or ELL teacher is now so well-versed in the content that knows exactly how to chunk, how to scaffold, how to support the students with conceptual understanding. So it's a win-win situation. Yep. Um, I wonder if there's any thoughts you'd share for um, EAL teachers who are finding some teachers who are reluctant to uh, to the to, to the partnership uh, collaboration and uh, maybe are pushing more to, you know, you take the, the students who need the linguistics and go work with them and bring them back uh, rather than a, a, a true collaboration. Well, I often tell a story about my own experience with co-teaching and one particular teacher who really could not bother <laughs> to even have a conversation with me. And interestingly enough, when we find reluctant teachers, very often they are either really, really experienced and very, very uh, highly trained and, and um, capable teachers, or there are teachers who are uh, feeling a little insecure about their teaching experiences and they may not want somebody else in the room with them, you know. So so there, there's those two levels. And with those that are highly trained and capable, they feel they could do it all. Why do I need someone else in my classroom? What usually works in that situation is showing that there is a, um, a definite benefit of having the collaboration. Just one thing can trigger the idea. And that's what had happened with, with my co-teacher. She, um, she just didn't need me until she saw me doing something else in someone else's classroom. And she was amazed. And she said, can you do that in my class? And what else can you do? And that's what started the conversation. So sometimes it's just a matter of making sure you do have these conversations. Sometimes they're difficult conversations, but to really just share what your strengths are and what you uh, can benefit, you know, from being in a classroom with another teacher. Student benefit catches the teacher's attention. Absolutely. 
And I can't help but point out that we have an entire chapter dedicated to just this because we recognize how challenging it is for many EAL educators, or specialists in general, who are ready to go, who are eager to collaborate and work together with their colleagues and then might face resistance or just some reluctance. So Valentina Gonzalez, one of our chapter contributors, just brilliantly outlined how critical it is to focus on the partnership, focus on the relationship. She actually partially quotes Hamilton saying, talk less, listen, and smile more. (laughs) Engaging. Great advice. Yes, yes. Engaging in planning for success, looking for opportunities to create shared ownership of the students that all educators see that we're in this work together. We're going to be supporting each other and the work is going to be reduced. It's really similar to uh, to many of the things that instructional coaches have to do uh, in, a, in, in, a, in a school setting to those teachers who are, uh, who are reluctant to, to seeing uh, the, the role that that instructional coach can play in their classroom. Um, I, I wonder to, to close us out. Um, a, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are, uh, are school leaders and, and instructional coaches. And I'm wondering if you'd want to point to some things that the, uh, that the, your portraits book has to offer that uh, can be helpful to them. As, as they support both the EAL teachers and, and, and the partnerships within their buildings? Readers would truly benefit from reading this book because there are nine authentic stories. So teachers tell their own stories. Teachers' voices are amplified here. And from their perspective, they share what works. So when educational leaders, administrators listen to teacher voices, They're also creating teacher leadership in the context of their schools. And their job is going to be easier by virtue of collaborating with their educators. Uh, I love that you mentioned, Andrea, teacher leadership, because I think what we see also in the Portraits book is how uh, teams figured out what to do. And if they didn't have the support of administrators, in order to have that time to figure out what to do, then they would not have been successful. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm wondering what's the, uh, what's the best way you'd recommend for folks to get in touch with you with uh, questions that they have or uh, learn, learn more about the many resources that uh, both of you have worked on? Well, we're both active on Twitter. And also we can share our email addresses. Go, go ahead and share those, and I'll make sure that we, uh, that we put them in the lead-in as well. Okay, so it's ahonixfab at gmail.com. And mine is mdov, M-D-O-V-E, at malloy.edu. All right. We will, uh, we'll post those for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to Steve Barkley Ponders Out Loud on iTunes and Podbean. And please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. I also want to hear what you're pondering. You can find me on Twitter at Steve Barkley or send me your questions and find my videos and blogs at BarkleyPD.com.